0: And sports have to clear the room. Stand up and walk
1: now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at theringer.com and joining me on the other line. Born and bred to rip and shred, it's Andy Greenwald! Hey friend. We're the best skateboarding podcast you can possibly listen to.
0: I can't wait because my years of playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Over a decade ago, are going to come in so handy in this conversation
1: because we're going to talk a little bit about HBO's Betty, which has yes. been out for a while. We're going to talk about Betty. We're going to talk about I May Destroy You. But before we get into all that, Andy, yeah, it's Thursday. Let's take a breath. Liverpool, crown champions of the Premier League. I was thinking of
0: you, and I was thinking of the version of myself that told you I was going to start watching soccer ten years ago.
1: What a journey a that would have been for me. Sean, I remember we did a. Uh, the Ocean's Twelve rewatchables, and Sean brought this up. Do you remember when it was a real bit in like New York City for people to get up at like five a.m. and go to pubs, yes, to, like to like watch the games, watch the matches? Right. That was pretty hilarious. I
0: mean, I, it was kind of a bit to be like, I want to start drinking at five a.m., but I'm going to blame <laughs> yes. it on
1: sports. But it was funny where we would draw the line, like you and I had both. One of our sort of like shared obsessions is the specific feeling of entering a bar at like 1 p.m. on a Sunday and leaving that bar at 6.45 p.m. on a Sunday and it's dark out.
0: With the Sunday, you have to be specific like during football season. During football season, sorry. Not
1: just just on a five-hour drinking bin. The
0: world is is possible when you enter. There's like a little bit of warmth still and people are out on the streets. And then when you exit, yeah, you realize that you, in your life, are as bad at clock management as Andy Reid yeah. because it is now bitterly cold and all hope of a weekend <laughs> has has gone. But maybe that's the remedy to that would have been just getting a quick power nap at home and returning to the bar. Yes, I, yes. of course. In this scenario, it's Monday morning, so <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Well, um, how's your week been going?
0: Oh, great. Another great week in America. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, and maybe this is our segue, because we, we are going to talk about a bunch of TV shows today and, and some, some TV news. Oh, wait, you want to do the news first, so maybe this isn't the best segue, but yeah, I just want to say— I was going
1: to front load us with, with the headlines, you know? Okay, but like, can I like tease I,
0: people with something? Absolutely. Here's how my week has been, Chris. This week I discovered Betty on HBO, and Betty gave me a sensation that I was unfamiliar with. I had forgotten, and that feeling is called happiness. Why so are we talk- it's Weekend. been a decent
1: week, and you know what? There really aren't any rules. Okay, let's, let's talk about Betty. That's fine.
0: Chris, I love Betty. I tell love Betty about it. so much. And so let me start by saying this: so it's six episode, half hour show on HBO. Um, mm-hmm. Hard to tell if it was sort of under promoted because it's sort of a more modestly budgeted show, or if it just got lost in the aforementioned America that we were or, talking or, about,
1: or like the kind of. It definitely came out right as that HBO, HBO Max, HBO Go, yeah. HBO Now boondoggle happens. So, yeah.
0: To me, the show is HBO Plus. Like, this is <laughs> what you get HBO for. And I have to say, before I get into it, I am not contractually, but morally obligated to tell you that you remember our good friend, uh, Layla Archuleta, who was um, my overqualified assistant on Briarpatch and Albuquerque. Sure, of course. And one thing you know about Layla is um, one should listen to her. Whether Mm -hmm. it's getting you from the Albuquerque airport uh, into the general vicinity of your pal here, or it's the text saying that I should watch Betty and it it was the last push I needed to do it. And I've watched four of the six episodes this week. I had to hold back from watching the last two. It's just pure pleasure for me. So this show is- Has your wife
1: already watched this season of Betty six times without you in the middle of the night? You know, it's
0: funny you ask that. I think the answer to that is no, but here's the here's why I do have some lingering suspicion. When I fired up my Apple TV to resume <laughs> resume my solo Betty Watch last night, I noticed all the episodes had been played all the way through. Now, oh, there are three plausible suspects in my home. One considerably less plausible than the others. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know how to work the remote controls yet. Uh. That's my wife. We have too many remote controls. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it's one of those things where your boy thought he pressed pause, but it turned off the TV and it just was racking up views, which yeah. is good for, for Betty fandom. But anyway, so I don't know if anyone else has watched it. I have not watched the last two because I'm Did you I'm, I'm happen back.
1: to catch your wife shredding down a banister <laughs> while smoking a blunt? <laughs> Live in a one story house. <laughs>
0: All the rest. Yes. Um. So for people who don't know about the show, it is basically an evolution of a movie that came out a few years ago that I have not seen called Skate Skate Kitchen. Skate Kitchen, yeah. Uh, Crystal Moselle, filmmaker, made a doc called The Wolf Pack, made it loosely based on, um, itself loosely based on a a female skate collective in New York City called Skate Kitchen, where the skaters were not trained actors, played versions of themselves. They're playing new versions of themselves on the show. And it is kind of a shaggy summer in New York City, young women on skateboards living their lives show. And I, Chris, I, I I love this show so viscerally. I feel like I would protect it like one of my children right now. And I was very happy to see that it's already been renewed for a second season. The broad strokes are, I think, for people who are looking for something new to watch, first of all, commitment-wise, we're talking six 25-minute episodes. Uh, you can You can bang this out and you'll enjoy it. Two, there is a, tone here that I just feel like I know I needed at the moment for my entertainment and I don't mean to short shrift the other heavier stuff that we've been talking about that, we'll, that we will talk about but there's something about the show that is even while it dabbles and addresses heavier topics, which it does on occasion, it's so bright and bright eyed the colors, the personalities this the vibrancy of the city it's not just interesting to me as someone who again, only played a Viscate video game once for a while, a couple years ago But it's just interested in the world and in people and in their behavior. And it's so low key, it almost sneaks up on you how affecting and emotional and and actually quite funny the show is.
1: You and I have talked uh, a lot on this pod over the years about our love affair with New York, which started, I think, around when we were both in our late teens or very early 20s and extended into our 30s uh, and often had some rocky periods of relationship to the city but one thing that i you've all always talked about that i really i i i was always just so into this idea but was this idea that was you walk around new york city and it is still the best walking city in in maybe the world and you look down a street there's like that galaxy down that street mm-hmm. and there's like this whole other world and it's it's just a series of if you had made that left or if you had made that right, you never know what you would have bumped into, what you would have seen, who you would have met. And I don't mean that in a romantic way. I mean that in a literal like life is an adventure way. And the time period in these young women's lives that they're documenting in, in Betty is the time when you are probably most open to being taken down that street, to being drawn down into these other worlds. And the way that they depict New York as a place where that kind of thing can happen, where you can like get stoned in a van with some guy talking about fake Supreme t-shirts and then go off to a skate park and then go on and go into a bodega and then go here and then go here. And like the kind of endless, like kind of currents that take you all the way through this weird Island (laughs) is just so perfect, you know? And I think over and over and over again for the last like couple of years, you and I've just been hammering home. If you show me a real place, if you, if you build a real world Even if that world isn't real in reality, we're already halfway there with you.
0: Absolutely. And and and
1: that's the thing that this show does. You're just like immediately as you, as soon as you see this, this, this show, you will be like, I get it. I know exactly what's happening. I know how hot it is. I know what time of day it is. I know what these, how much money these people have in their pocket. I know what they want to do with their day and the fact that they don't know what they want to do with their day. It's like, it all kind of comes to life so fast.
0: There's there's a moment if you're when you're younger, if you're lucky enough to live in New York. But I I think honestly it's probably true if you're lucky enough to be young anywhere living in a city where the world is like a giant shoots and ladders board and it's yours to play with and to take risks and to lose, but to keep pushing forward. And it brings that feeling to life better than anything I can remember in recent times. But the other thing about it, and maybe this is why the show's hitting me so hard right now, too, is that there is a joyous sense of community in the show that I find very affecting right now. And also makes it makes it a little bittersweet because, you know, our ability to be communal is challenged so much right now. It's a vision of a city that has nothing to do with the, whether it's the high gloss money version of it that exists on the pages of newspapers or the kind of overly intellectualized Head scratching, worry, think piece blog version of it that tends to exist, you know, on shows like like Girls, um, which you know you and I like quite a bit. But this is this is a city that is just you cannot keep a lid on. It's just yeah. existing. It's just youth culture, it's multiracial, it's multi-aged. They're just all kinds of people who are united in living in this place and taking joy in it when they can. And there's some and, and there's also a hidden language, you know, and I, and I don't think I'm curious when people say when people watch it, maybe who haven't lived in New York, might have a different reaction to certain aspects of it. Um, but there's a shared language to living in a space it, like in the first episode, characters are gathered. They haven't met each other. A lot of them haven't met before. And then there is something that happens a lot in the summertime in New York. There is suddenly a, a downpour. A thunderstorm breaks out and instantly every single person in the city knows how to behave. And what to do and where to go and the bodega to climb into and, you know, get a plastic bag or whatever you need to do. And it's just effortless the way the show depicts that. And look, if you are struggling at the beginning of the episode, which maybe might strike you as like a technicolor, non-shitty version of Larry Clark's kids at the beginning, like not salacious at all uh, in a way that I really appreciate. If you make it to the part where ASAP Rocky's fucking Problems plays... And the character of Honey Bear, who is a breakout, and she's just this phenomenal presence, this woman Kabrima Abrams, if your heart doesn't melt in that moment, I don't know what to tell you
1: yeah, I mean it, it's all that that thing you just said about the the rainstorm it's like I can still remember on like the street where i used to, where I spent the last like ten years of or of, i don't know how long I spent on 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 court Street, but like knowing which bodega had the uh, awning that was big enough to stand mm-hmm. under that you didn't get blocked out from, from the f- the fruits, vegetables, and flowers that were outside? Which ones had, like, cheap $5 umbrellas that wouldn't last for more than an afternoon, but maybe, like, you would just leave it at the bar anyway? And, like, you just... It, the way that... This show has that same sort of sense of of geography, you know, and, and sort of mental geography as well. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, as far as, like, the language goes and and... The ways in which these characters interact with each other, a lot of them were in in a skate kitchen and are non professional actors, and the authenticity of it actually comes through. I mean, I think there's it, that that's a dicey proposition sometimes, especially for a TV show where it's not just like this experiential mm-hmm. thing. It's actually going to have to stay stay coherent for multiple episodes, and yeah, they they do that.
0: But I think. It's it's interesting. I mean, I think one criticism that might come at the show, and I've heard it from people who've tried to check it out, is you begin to maybe some people have said they begin to feel the limits of the non-professional actors. Um, but I gotta say, these young women, I think they've got the sauce. They've got the range. You know, there is of course playing versions of themselves in in landscapes that they're familiar in, whether it's on a skateboard or just New York City, helps. But Like a Johnny Russell who plays Indigo, Rachel Vinberg who plays Camille. I mentioned Cabrina Abrams, who I just realized is Cabrina Adams. I apologize to Miss Moonbear for (laughs) that. I'll never make that mistake again. Um, I just want to watch them. You know, I just think they're really interesting, intuitive, natural performers. Um, To connect this, because this is just a pure rave for me. It just makes me happy. And I just would talk about this for the whole hour, but we won't. But to connect this rave to ways we've talked about TV before, I think one of the reasons why you and I are so impressed, there's some overlap here between the other HBO show we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast, I May Destroy You, which is also, I think, brilliant. Um, and also, you know, vibrates with a certain young energy that obviously you and I are very, very uh, envious of or interested <laughs> right. in um, as spectators to that now. But I May Destroy You is also quite contemporary and clever in that it has that kind of zeitgeisty feel, but is in the service of, as we've described it, a wrenching personal detective story. It is serialized in that way. The other thing that we've always loved about TV, going back to even before this golden age of TV, are shows where the premise is so good, it could be about anything. And as far as I can tell, four episodes in with a second season coming, this show could just go. It could be about almost anything, and I yeah. love that about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that shows like this... um, are more what I was hoping for. I was hoping TV would turn into when I think we started doing this podcast, and I think that when we sort of felt like you know, there, there, there's been this tug of war back and forth between whether or not television has really um, lived up to its promise of the quote unquote golden age, and whether or not, uh, and what that what that means in relationship to its sort of tension between it being a writer medium versus a filmmaking medium or a director's medium and i think that there's been a lot of conversation about that but for me it was always about like telling different stories in different kinds of ways and that mm-hmm. was the way in which it would be the inheritor of like the the so- sort of 70s cinema that everybody would kind of like, was like this could be it this could be our mm-hmm. kind of like the place for all the real artistic experimentation and expression that we thought was going to come out of the seventies and was crushed by the eighties and blockbusters and shows like Betty are a little minor, minor mi- miracles like that. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, the, that's why you watch TV is to find something like this. That doesn't feel like anything else.
0: I should give a shout out to, to Leslie Arfin, who's a, a t- established TV writer. She actually worked on girls, which is interesting and worked on uh, most recently love on Netflix she came on as co-showrunner and executive producer. Moshe Kasher is a stand-up comedian, worked on the show. So there, there are comedy bona fides there too, sure. which are subtle and really good. Before we move on, I have to ask you, like as a longtime skate aficionado. Yeah. You know, just as like a goofy foot stan. Is that a thing? Or is that like
1: <sighs> I've never heard that before
0: snowboarding. I a- anyway, I love watching people skateboard. I think it's fascinating. I have no idea how to do any of it. And it's just kind of beautiful and cool on film. I have to say Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 did lie to me because my understanding of skating at a certain level really does involve just banister work and rails. But like nothing but like going around like a dome purely on a railing, which I guess isn't uh, possible vis-a-vis physics. But that was my one kind of disappointment.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think I would ever call myself a skateboarder, although I think I am a pretty big fan of skate culture in over the years.
0: Okay. I, ha- I have to say, it was so excited but, about you to unpack that, by the way. Really no, looking forward to it.
1: Well, because I just don't have the balance. Like I just I I don't have the balance and I don't have the appetite for like deep scratches on my body. Like, owns like, a
0: pair of vans
1: once. Yeah, but I do like I've I've like often will watch like old skate videos and and think they have great soundtracks and I would say my wife and I were we were watching Betty and there was like there's just a couple of shots in the first episode for instance that are just long tracking shots of someone obviously filming someone on they are on a skateboard and they are filming someone else on a skateboard in front of them and I was like I don't know who you want to credit this with like whether it's you want to like trace it back to Spike Jones doing mm-hmm. doing skate videos in the nineties, but this might be one of the like more formative images of my lifetime. Like in a weird way is like watching people skate on screen that shot, yeah. and that shot of like, I'm going to get on a skateboard with my camera and roll past this person. And that's, that's the shot. And I, it seems like, you know, in the grand scheme of things kind of inconsequential, but I've watched some variation on that shot for the last 30 years. So it <laughs> seems like a big deal. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to put it and it, and it does it is a visual language that is more established now I guess yeah. from our generation below. Uh, last thing, last very New York thing that I want to ask you about. There's a moment in this the show does so many things so well, but one of the things that it does is it doesn't really tell you too much about the women's lives off of the skateboards until you suddenly are granted access. And in some ways that was the most New York part of it that people's life is lived i mean again this is why this year has been among the many reasons why this year has been so particularly cruel and vicious to great cities in new york life is lived outside and that's your home and your apartment is the place where you sleep and store pizza that you haven't finished on the way home from the subway yeah
1: it's the where Uh, the annie's mac and cheese is at the end of the night yeah
0: and and so this these little glimpses where suddenly someone opens a door or in in one character's case goes in a private elevator and you're like wait what And they have these private spaces really to like recharge is really kind of exciting. And it really reminded me of that moment when you're, you know, usually for me anyway, it was mostly when you were younger. You meet people, you don't know them that well, and maybe they're like, oh, come back to my place, have a beer or whatever. And then their place either is like a a, a, the kind of tenement where there's a bathtub in every room, you know, not just the kitchen. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's the room is just a bathtub, or It's like, oh, come with me on the sixth train. Oh, why are we getting off at 81st and Park? Oh, your father is a Lehman brother. Like his Uh, name is Mr. Lehman brother and you have 19 rooms. But out in the, you know, on the battlefield of ideas that is the Lower East Side, I guess we're all kind of equal. Yeah, I thought
1: you were going to reference the phenomenon of when we were growing up in Philly Mm -hmm. and like we were in middle school and high school and uh, a guy would be like, do you want to come back to my dad's place? And you'd be like, just your dad's, right? Okay, so yeah, checking in, uh, and you'd see your friend's divorced dad's house for the first time. Mm-hmm. There was always a story there, you know. What I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> you know, you know, you know where big main line of Philadelphia divorced dad energy was, or like where, where where they shopped mostly. Yeah, was the sharper image. Yes. those were the houses where that had those things, those like the metal rods where you put your hands or face on it that are absolutely banned in the COVID era, and. B, the only time I ever saw someone with one of those robots that did nothing but serve a tray of drinks if you made the drinks and put them on the tray was (laughs) that shout out to a kid named Tony's Divorced Dad. That dude wore tracksuits, worked at an auto dealership, and had a robot. And, you know, that's about as good as it got in the 80s.
1: Tony went on to inspire the uh, Ashley Schaefer BMW character in Eastbound Uh, and Down, probably. At
0: least spiritually connected to it.
1: All Divorced Dads, they were like... The Jack Daniels was not hidden. It was like, <laughs> son, <laughs> this is where the booze is. Whereas, like, if you were at like, you know, the mom's house, it was like a little bit more like it was a little bit more like obscured, but like the divorced dads were like, that's a funny smelling cigarette.
0: <laughs> guess, speaking of divorced dads, because really many of us are really just a few bad decisions <laughs> away from becoming one. So all, all, all respect and all fear. There was a moment last night. Where And this is why I'm a little suspect. I don't think my wife finished the series of Betty, where uh, she was working late after the kids went to bed and I was skating my way through two more episodes of of, of (laughs) Betty. And then she came to join me and she's like, can we watch something or do you want to keep watching this? And I was like, brain was like, I want to keep watching this. Yeah. And then like actually body heart was like, I want to keep watching this brain was like your choice, whatever you'd like to do. So that's how I go from being like this show is reminding me of living in New York and listening to ASAP Rocky <laughs> to browsing the deep season thirty eight menu of American Masters on PBS. <laughs> be like, oh well, you know, I guess there's another another Joan Didion doc. Well, I that could that could and be my And meanwhile, a nice in your night, head, it's just listening
1: to Far Side and just like running away from,
0: from I'm imagining park, just park rangers. rangers. I'm just doing kick flips over the bar.
1: Last night we were we keep having this thing when we get to the end of the night where we're trying to find a show that's not too demanding but not too stupid or one that we've like seen a hundred times okay so we keep finding like these like we and honestly like the the thing that we've been watching a lot of that I've been really really enjoying is Dave which is something we we never talked about uh, on this yeah, pod I, but yeah I missed it completely it's hilarious uh but last night it kind of was like later and i i was like kind of drifting off and i was like man we can watch something else and it was like we started watching floor's lava which is uh you know the oh, netflix the uh, number thing. one show on netflix and is uh one of the craziest things like i just felt like i was on mushrooms the whole time uh and you know I, I, people need to know it's the game floor's lava but filmed and there's like you know they pretend like it's actually lava but they
0: wait won't. that's a game it,
1: yeah it was basically like you set up your house like if you were at your house and
0: oh like you, like a kids game where you jump yeah, from couch but to table. it's played
1: by adults and is like super intense and people like do face plants on stuff and everything you know it's kind of also got an escape room vibe but the point is is that i we watched one and i like got some jokes off and was like this is just so stupid and i'm like well okay and then my wife watched like four more without me and i but then like my first reaction was well, I'm going to be totally lost now. You know, like it, it's and like the narrative? the narrative thread is going to disappear. Uh, so stupid. I need to get
0: out were, of the house. <laughs> were, you an escape, were you an escape room guy? Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy? I would
1: have been if I, I. I think I think that was something that could have happened in the last couple of months. You know.
0: Oh, kaya, you, so that's, that's this is a, done this done a before. good
1: this is a good kaya jump. Big kaya, are you an escape room person? Like, do I want to go to an escape room? Not now, but were you? <laughs> no, that sounds like a waste of money okay
0: (laughs) i I agree thank you kaya wise beyond your years i mean i think if you don't know what the concept is being like can you escape
1: big divorce dad energy right there
0: (laughs) kaya do you have a drink serving robot um i i I think if you didn't know the concept and someone was like would you like to escape this room right now 99 percent of america would take take the offer but I, I've never understood the appeal of going to solve problems. You no, know, it's with like a
1: it's strangers. it's like a do you actually do you like playing like dinner party games like mafia and stuff like no. that? Nope. Why don't you?
0: I, I don't like fun very much. I'm anti-fun.
1: I, I think that the reason is is that your guy, you have you have you have this family and <laughs> I'm I'm a pre-divorced dad. you have limited at bats socially. You know what yes, I mean? And you've right. got to maximize them. And it's tough for you Thank if you, you show up and you're like, I'm trying to like catch up with friends get my drink on Tony's dad style. You know what I mean? A funny cigarette gets passed around. Who knows? And I'm saying, and if I come up to you and I'm like, here is an elaborate game that is going to take 45 minutes just to explain. Yeah. And then inevitably someone's going to get in a kind of weird passive aggressive fight. I could see why that would be a a day runner for you.
0: Do you remember our our buddy Chuck Klosterman's birthday party one year was going to his apartment having take out KFC and playing Mafia, right? Yes. Or, or Murder or whatever.
1: Mafia, yeah. That's yeah. the
0: most Chuck thing ever. I don't feel like routing him by saying that.
1: I don't think so either. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by LaCroix Sparkling Water. LaCroix delivers refreshment, flavor, and sparkle with an innocent twist of zero calories, zero sweeteners, and zero sodium. There are twenty-seven Lacroix flavors. The newest edition, Limoncello and Pastèque, are exciting additions with European finesse and unique flavor innovation. Oh my God, guys! How do you? Where do you even start with Lacroix? Your boy is eighty percent Lacroix. I don't even know. I first of all, I'm I'm an originalist. I just stick with uh, the plain flavor. It's my seltzer club soda of choice. I just I just drown in that. But when I want to get a little funky. I'm known to maybe mess around with a little coconut. I, I'm not above it. I like lime, and I also love a little bit of pamplemousse, which I think uh, you know most people do. And it's just like such a great summer summer beverage. Lacroix sparkling water is gluten-free, vegan, kosher, and non-GMO. Whole 30 approved and environmentally friendly. Lacroix cans are sustainable and recyclable, and Lacroix was the first on the market to be produced without a BPA liner. Enjoy LaCroix Sparkling Water, a healthier alternative for you and your lifestyle. For more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com. That's L-A-C-R-O-I-X-W-A-T-E-R.com. You can also join the LaCroix community on social at lacroixwater. And we thank LaCroix for sponsoring The Watch. All right. So. What do you want to do? do? You want to do? I may destroy you now, or do you want to do? Let, a little... let, let's
0: do our little. Let's do our little grab bag. And and I just a f- thing about Betty. We'll go check it out. Maybe we'll hopefully have some people from the show on at some point in the next couple of weeks to sort of wrap it up because we haven't really talked about the show. I just want everyone to watch it and enjoy it.
1: Yeah, seriously. Um, very high recommend from us. Really, the only news I wanted to talk to you about. So Peacock launches July fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, they put out a batch of trailers. I I think that it, I, I need to see the library. This is my take on Peacock, because I I think HBO Max really opened up. They put out Love Life. I know I'm a fan of Love Life. You had some reservations about it, but you you, you understand that lots of people like Love Life. But that was the only original series for, I guess, adults that they were putting out that was exclusively for HBO Max. There was a bunch of docs and cartoons and stuff like that. Children's programming. But their library, their library was... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, unbelievable in terms of rewatchable movies and also shows that had huge rewatch potential, like Big Bang and and Friends and stuff like that. So that was kind of like the HBO Max story. I don't really know. I mean, I, I have I have some awareness of what's going to be on Peacock, like The Office, but I need to like kind of like get really like kind of see a list of it where it's like Thirty Rock and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But Peacock made put out some trailers for their quote unquote originals. The reason I use quote unquote, which is the verbal version of air quotes is because a couple of these things are British co-pros that have already aired. Yep. And then the sort of big tent pole that they're putting out, the one I think that they're hoping catches on is the adaptation of Aldous Huxley's brave new world. Um, Right. Which is, I think at least the first episode is directed by Owen Harris who directed several of the best episodes of uh, black mirror. Uh, I think Grant Morrison worked on it as a executive producer. Yep. And it stars Alden Ehrenreich, Demi Moore, uh Jessica Brown finley a couple other people. And um I'm a I I still 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 Alden Ehrenreich is my boeing stock. Like I will not sell it. <laughs> but I I have to say that I do not think that this show looks that good. Okay. That's one note
0: okay (laughs) Um, would you like to elaborate on that would you well I I, I should say I feel and I know people tune into this podcast for full transparency I feel slightly hamstrung because I I am in a uh, uh, I have have an overall deal with, with Universal for my own work uh Theoretically, my work, if I if I make more work, could end up on Peacock. So I feel sure. a little bit delicate there. Um, so I, I'm mostly going to reserve my commentary for like the overall place in the marketplace uh, and criticize you for your terrible stock trading. But
1: um, I on. will say I wasn't saying like this is sight unseen. So I'm not saying like I, I don't know anything about how good or bad yeah. this adaptation is. I think part of it is the amount that... Uh, Brave New World has influenced other stuff. I have now yes. come out the other side that when they set up the premise for Brave New World about this perf, quote-unquote perfect society that this one person is the anomaly in and then that person unravels the thread. Yep, I think that, yeah. that has become such a well-worn trope that I am almost sort of like, I got it before I even see it. So that's that. Yeah, And I mean, then I, it, I wanted it, to it, also it, it, talk it, it, about foundation. It's a dif-
0: but, well, it, it leads well to foundation because... Yeah. Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and Isaac Asimov's Foundation kind of are the urtex of modern sci-fi that have been the, – the, the concern would be that the bones have been picked clean by every yes. story that has come since. Whether or not they are better stories, it's interesting to note. I mean, the other thing about, about Peacock is that – and this could be an advantage or disadvantage, and we'll see as it plays out. I think we've talked around this before. But we're not – getting the full blast of what they intended to be because of the pandemic. I think yeah. they intended to launch with more originals um and have more things, just more, just more stuff ready to show. Um because the goal and it's kind of it's trying to fill a different niche. I mean it's going to have really, really solid dependable content like Law and Order and 30 Rock um and the office eventually, I think next year the office mm-hmm. hits it. But also be the place for shiny new streaming content and and there's also an ad supported version of it so it's it's finding its way um brave new world was developed for usa and then switched midstream um, for peacock right so i think your concerns are especially in terms of like as everything becomes ip and everything now all the things that were quote unquote unproducible are now very much producible well i just
1: think it's an interesting thing where it's it's like We've had this sort of wave of world-building, sci-fi influence stuff that is obviously drawn from a lot of foundational texts, and now we're now going through the cycle where we are reimagining the original versions of these things in Foundation, Brave New World, and and to some extent Dune. Yes, you know what I mean. Like,
0: yes, absolutely. I, I so Foundation we're talking about it's the, it's you know the nineteen it's. The first, there were short stories published by Isaac Asimov in the 40s. They first collected into a book and then ultimately a trilogy in the uh, early 50s. So, this is about as, this is way back. Um, actually, more contemporary than Perry Mason, but still uh, in the way back machine. And um, this is material that I love. I read these books when I was in high school and they kind of blew my mind. Um, that's a prime age for reading Foundation. So David Goyer, who has a long history in genre work, he co-wrote, fam- probably most famously he co-wrote uh, the, the Nolan Batman movies with Nolan, um, is spearheading this adaptation. It's the biggest production ever in Ireland. Uh, shouts, to, shouts to Paul Mescal and Normal People, which filmed in the same studio, but... Uh,
1: shout out the sh- Celtic Tiger.
0: <laughs> so this, this they, they, there was a big press release in January when it went into production, the biggest production ever in Ireland, like 500 people working on the production, and then, of course, they got delayed. But the trailer that they released is impressive looking and certainly looks like they spared no expense. A lot of great actors in it, uh, Jared Harris, Lee Pace. Here's my – I hate doing this concern trolling, but here's what I want to say about this. I love these books, and the reason why I love the books is because they are – very very modest stories with galaxy brain ideas Uh and part of the appeal to me about it was that they were so tightly focused i mean they're short stories really cobbled together into novels um and they're just the purest of sci-fi for that reason asimov is a really smart guy jewish american guy living you know during world war ii thinking about the end of empires and how great civilizations end and being like, well, okay, the end of the Roman Empire, but in space. And there's something that was so beautiful and simple and almost humble about it, this idea of a guy who can predict the end of civilizations through math called psychohistory and being like, I'm going to create up a shadow plan to shorten the time between the end of this empire that I'm living in and the next golden age for humanity in the galaxy from 30,000 years to a one thousand years, it's still going to be a thousand year long story, but that's twenty nine thousand years less suffering for other people. And this isn't even a spoiler to say like the main character doesn't live past the first book because it goes on for a thousand years. Right. I love this. It still gets me excited thinking about it. And there's something that is so pure about that idea. It's about thinking and hoping and and humanity. That when I see a trailer and the trailer is like the home of the Sith on in the last terrible Star Wars movie with the Batman base and the Nolan yeah. blaring, I'm like, I feel like you may have misunderstood the text and misread the moment. Like, obviously, you can't pitch Apple. I'm going to do this unproducible thing, and we're going to do it at budget. Like, we're doing it at a really super low budget. But I kind of wish they had.
1: But this is such an interesting conversation, man, because like, obviously what people want is the next Game of Thrones. They obviously want a global franchise that goes on for five, six, seven years and creates a secondary extracurricular life of fandom, of conventions, of theories, of, of writings, of like critical discourse and also like, you know, energy around the show. And I always just think back to that first season of Game of Thrones. No matter how expensive it was to mount that show, how small it felt. Yeah, well, not, and not how small it felt like in terms of its ideas, or in terms of its performances, or in terms of its writing. But just like it just stayed within its lane lines, and really was like about these people talking and telling their history. It really didn't get shown for a while. You know that yeah. that it was a lot of it was about. This sort of like interpersonal communication. And then at the end, obviously, it becomes battle after battle after dragon after dragon. I feel like a lot of these shows are trying to start with the dragon. You know, the first shot of the foundation totally. trailer is this absolutely awe inspiring piece of special effects that, you know, it would be worthy of a Quorum movie, you know, or worthy of a Christopher it, it, Nolan movie.
0: It, it, it was the entire budget of nbc's caroline in the city over its entire run
1: in <laughs> one cgi
0: shot you know what i mean like it is yeah. that it's just tv showing off which is cool and you know maybe look the show i hope to god the show is great i really think that would be awesome and part of selling something and this is what we're doing I mean, the show couldn't even finish production is putting it into a language that audiences are primed to understand yeah and then later it can be something else this is I don't know how many people who are listening to this stayed through all of my Frozen 2 talk with Kristen Bell. But one of the things that I thought was most interesting when we talked to her was watching the trailer for Frozen before the movie came out and seeing them marketing a completely different movie than what it was in order right. to make people understand, hopefully get them in line to see right. it because they understood what that was. So maybe that's kind of what this is. The pure idea here, though, and the potential to be that long-running series, regardless of of how they how they shoot it, is really is really vast because Game of Thrones was a generational saga, but about one generation. And a lot of the talking was about the previous generations leading to this moment. If they do foundation right, and they do it in the spirit of the books, it will tell a story that spans a thousand years. So there will be new characters and new uh, points of conflict and new locations in ways that could be quite groundbreaking and uh, potentially quite awe-inspiring and moving, as awe-inspiring as the CGI shots if they do it Right.
1: They put out this teaser for Foundation, and and uh, uh, we we could share it. But I I thought it was it's always such an interesting choice when they do these like sort of B roll behind the scenes shots from yeah special effects heavy sci fi movies. Where I'm like, I don't want to see Lee Pace's character for the first time standing in front of a styrofoam sphinx.
0: I mean, you know, this is this this was definitely they were like, what do we got? Right. What can we finish? Um, can I tell you the one other reason I'm slightly prejudiced against this? Okay. So the main character that starts this is this psychohistorian called it's Harry Seldon.
1: J- Jared Harris, right?
0: Jared Harris. I love Jared Harris.
1: The Chernobyl god right there, you know?
0: One of our great actors in almost anything. Really versatile. But, like, I feel like Harry Selden should be played by, like, Judd Hirsch. You know what I mean? Is is
1: is he like older or what?
0: He's an old guy. He's he's an older guy like who comes to this closer to the end of his life. But obviously they're not. First of all, can you imagine that pitch meeting? Listen, Tim, everybody here on the Apple board, Johnny Ive, who doesn't even work here anymore. Thank you. Yeah, Mr. Q, thank you for your preemptive (laughs) half a billion dollar bid in our 10 year series. I just got two words for you to put butts in seats. Hirsch. Judd Hirsch. I, there, this is just me saying that, like, God, the guys, we
1: couldn't afford Dreyfus because we blew all the money on a space station.
0: Hirsch's tech avail. fail. Um, we can't get him to Ireland, but he, he he'll zoom in. <laughs> I, I, I said this before, but like the the sort of like something about 1940s New York hustling, like there there was something in that. There was something that felt very. For, I'm just gonna say it. Like there's something like super Jewish New York to me about these books always, and also who Asimov was and. And and like the, the star of the book being a guy who's just like, I am a historian interested in psychology, and also I'm going to build a generation-spanning project about an encyclopedia. I just feel like he shouldn't be a supercilious British actor. Like, I just feel like it's, it's kind of a misread yeah. on the person that could fumble his way into history. And it also feels like that thing that sci-fi does, and I think you saw this in Brave New World, where they're like, to be sci-fi, it has to look this way and sound yes. this way, and people have to speak in a certain tone and... I'm just really ready for something to shake that up.
1: Yeah, me too. I am too. Should we end by talking a little bit about I May Destroy You, which is probably the least sci-fi thing in the world right now?
0: It is, although she is a a psychochemist in terms (laughs) of Arabella's own personal Bill Nye the Science Guy in terms of her own ingesting of chemicals. was impressive, if not totally terrifying. Um, This is, I think this is, People were asking, I saw, I think someone on Twitter was like, what has the belt right now? To me, this show has the belt. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess we have to say it out loud. Like, there, I made a story definitely has the belt. Yeah. I mean, it, I I don't know. It's hard to gauge the... Uh, I, I've seen anecdotally people as they find this show saying, mm-hmm. holy shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it has become like a week to week kind of thing. But this this show is now three for three uh, with episodes. Um in fact, I would argue, each one is better than the last. Yes, this was uh, a surprising. I never, I never was certain what was going to happen, but I was always aware that I was like in the hands of like a like maybe a master storyteller watching this this episode,
0: and filmmaker. I thought Sam Miller is just doing an incredible job, and uh, I love how the show keeps you guessing. And because we know how high the stakes are, because we're so centered in Arabella's emotional experience, it feels breathtaking in the literal sense, like I'm on the edge of my seat, even when uh, Arabella and Terry are having fun. Yeah. Not because I think something terrible is going to happen, but because I truly don't know, because anything is possible on the show. And I, to that point, I was really shocked and impressed how it zagged in episode three, to have a traumatic event occur in episode one, to have episode two be about the beginning fallout of that event, and then take a take a breath, take a step back to a happier time mm-hmm. in you know I think it's fair to say at least for most of the episode, a happier time in these women's lives um, was both surprising and sort of set me t- tipped my balance a little bit in terms of what to expect, but also just right. It's like they, she just kind of knew. You know, she's like she's like she's the savvy. She's already a savvy pitcher who knows just when to throw the off speed stuff when you least expect it and are ready to enjoy it. And for what this episode did, and I think I I have a feeling you're going to back me up on this. I, I have never and I'm not trying to like virtue signal sobriety here because I am not a sober person, but I don't think I've ever ingested one eighth of the amount of drugs or variety of drugs, certainly in one night that 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 Arabella took in Italy. And just the way the show made mind-altering drugs in your 20s feel simultaneously like the single best decision you could make and the most terrifying, horrifying mistake you could ever make, sometimes within the same shot, was unprecedented and made me feel insane. I thought it
1: captured the, you know, basically like the defense system of consciousness and like how when you strip that away how terrifying it can be to kind of be without that. And obviously that's what this show in some ways is about. Uh, I also thought it was one of the best flashback episodes I've ever seen precisely because most flashback episodes are about some kind of Freudian trauma that is Mm. explaining what is happening in the current moment. And this was more like, yeah, this is another sort of snapshot of someone's past that illustrates who they are now. And illustrates like the interpersonal relationship between Terry and Arabella and talks about what, you know, when Terry spends the day with her in that second episode, sort of helping her piece things together and is getting increasingly concerned. And You are like, oh, it's interesting. I wonder if Terry's like the sort of straight laced one and Arabella's the wild child and Terry's concerned. And it's like, no, it's 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 much more complicated than that. It's much more like real life.
0: Yeah, and I and I, I think that that's exactly it. What you said about about complication, you know, I think there we have seen many many examples. I think less, hopefully, I'd like to think less in recent years, but so many ex- examples of a kind of clumsy morality when applied to young things that happen to young people. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, sexual assault, as the case of the show, but whether it's you know recreational drug use or drinking or smoking or whatever the case may be even well-intentioned shows or stories tend to have a moment where it's like well you shouldn't have gotten in that car you made a mistake and yes. let's isolate that one moment as if it was a binary choice as if we weren't the sum butterfly effect total of everything that we ever did and some of those things ended up you know, with results that made us feel good or happy or led us to a good place, and some of them didn't. And even the ones that made us feel good maybe made someone else feel bad. And painting in that fuller picture is really um, a crucial, I think, to, to, to full-bodied, full-hearted storytelling, but also really impressive to see it being done. I don't want to say effortlessly. People work really hard in the show, but it, it it's the first thing that you said. I just... I feel like we're in the hands of people who really know what yeah, they're doing. Yeah,
1: I I and I never felt like I was being really like manipulated. I think that moment, I mean you you were saying like, you know, when you're young and you're you kind of you're, you're having an extremely normal one out, it's just like a you, you definitely feel like you lose your your grip on on your fastball pretty fast where you're just like I'm kind of giving myself over to the to the momentum of this. And B, you're like I'm once like completely like exhilarated because I'm flying, and then oh shit, like I'm up in the air. Like that happens very fast when that when that's going on. And I thought that that moment, sort of as her Italian drug dealer, soon to be quasi boyfriend, is leading her into this sort of like I'm gonna take you somewhere else. And they've had this sort of incredibly intimate moment Mm -hmm. uh, back at her apartment, and now he's like taking her somewhere else. And I think you feel like okay, this guy doesn't seem like evil. But there's that moment where you're just like I have no idea what's on the other side of this door when this guy unlocks this this like sort of restaurant this cafe door and then it winds up being this kind of epiphany moment of listening listening to Daft Punk as the sun comes up over the Mediterranean yep. and yeah I mean sometimes that does happen you know what I mean like and and you got to treasure that when it does I personally don't feel like I would be able to process something like the sun coming up if I had taken that much you know ketamine but whatever <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: they, I do you think we should rename this podcast my two dads? I just feel like we have a lot of advice about young people having fun in Italy and or New York but uh, but yeah I I think that it's interesting to be talking about and to be watching uh, I may destroy you and Betty in concert because they both are very uh aesthetically driven and personalized riffs on the bulletproof fleeting bulletproof nature of youth. You know, yes. that, that, that I think, uh, I'd be curious, honestly, from our listeners, people who are in that time of their lives or people who are like us, probably, I, I think, past that time, it's central to it, you know? Kai Ka- just it,
1: nodded it, gravely when you said time. Yeah, I
0: mean, I, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think Kai is, Kai is ordering us Ensure to make sure that we recover from this. 45 minute blast of enthusiasm, but, um, no, no free ads, but that would be a great sponsor for us. Um, just just that, that it's always, it's always a navigation, like to, to, to go out and experience life. Like you have to have some, um, denial, right. You have to be able, you have to be in the moment and be present and appreciate it, but also not get too far out of your head, but also you don't want to stay in your head. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to watch, but I I appreciate so much that both of these shows come from uh, a place like a, a very. I, I mean, I May Destroy You isn't a warm and fuzzy show, but I think it comes from a very open hearted and and both shows come from female centric, creative point of view. It's the female gaze in both cases, um, even though Sam Miller, who directed I May Destroy You, is a man. Both shows, I think, are centered in a female gaze and looking at the risk and reward of going out and being yeah. and living in really fascinating and worthwhile ways
1: i couldn't say it better uh so let's wrap it up there next week we have like a, a wild wave of guests coming um yeah let's you know, ride let's, that wave so we'll definitely keep talking about i may destroy you and we'll talk more about betty uh i am going to figure out a way to talk about dark i i know you didn't watch the second season so
0: here's the problem like
1: Let's just, you could let's watch quickly. like a six-minute YouTube that's about... Like Dark's I, coming out on Friday. Dark season three. I know. Stuff.
0: So guys, look, you know I love Bartos. Uh, or is it Bartos? I don't remember. Bartos. Whatever. You want me to take that back? No, look, I... I, Apologies to our German fans. I love that first season so much, and I cannot tell you what bad timing that second season was for me in my life when I would, like, return from set in Albuquerque with my brain dribbling out of my ears and be like, I'm sorry, I can't do time travel right now. So what can I do? This is the least easy watch for an entertaining show.
1: I would try... There, are, I will send you... There are multiple, like dark season two recaps the problem with that mm-hmm. is as somebody who did i think and correct me if i'm wrong kaya like i think we did upwards of like three episodic recaps yeah. on the watch while you were in new mexico with gallagher jason gallagher I remember and we talked about it time bros and i would feel crazier at the end of those podcasts than i did at the beginning and like when Jason and I actually thought we may have figured out time travel on that podcast is still one <laughs> mm-hmm. of the weirdest feelings I've ever had. So I hope that you know if you try and watch the second the, uh, the second season recap that they have, and then we want to watch a couple of before Monday, that's great. Otherwise, I might just have to do like a Colin Coward podcast where I'm like just going solo for 50 minutes.
0: I I might listen to your time travel podcast and attempt it okay. in order to find the space because there look. We talk about a lot of TV shows, and there are a lot of TV shows, but there aren't as many experiences of watching that I enjoyed as much as that first season. Yeah. So I, I wish that I was caught up to join you. I will try. So if you don't mind, and I'm just going to put this to you right now in front of God and Germany and all our listeners. <laughs> slow walking this a little bit.
1: I got you, man. I got you. I'm, I'm, let's. You know whose clock we're on.
0: Ours. It's you and me. What's Kaya doing right now? I don't she know. She's rolling her eyes. <laughs> Is she asking a robot to get her some more of that uh, <laughs> that Jack Daniels?
1: Uh, Greenwald, I'll see you on Monday, man.
0: Great job, Berinsky. Have a great weekend.